So here we are to worship. And I'm so glad to be with you today. By way of introduction, before we read the scriptures, I want to remind some of you of a gentleman who is is still a member of our church but has moved to Hong Kong. Many of you remember Todd Christensen. And Todd stood up here one day and he described his first several weeks at North Shore Community Church. And I don't know if you remember what he said, but Todd said, My family and I came in, and we first sat in the back, and then the next week we moved to the front, then we moved to the other side to the front, and we worshipped with you, and as the congregation sang, I opened my mouth each week to sing, and nothing would come out. Only tears ran down my cheeks, he said, because I had been in churches all my life, he said, but suddenly I was surrounded by people singing these songs from Scripture, and the Scripture was like a knife into my heart, and the people around me sang like they believed it. And it wasn't until at least a month, till I could finally choke out a few of the songs. What happened to Todd? What happened to Todd was that God touched him and renewed him. By the hearing of the Word of God and the worship of the people of God, he experienced renewal. He had been in the building for many years, different church buildings for many years. But the hand of God touched him and renewed him and made him new. Now, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah together, and we have witnessed the amazing work of God to build the wall of Jerusalem so that dignity will again come to the city of God and safety will come to the people of God. And it's good for the people of God to be inside the walls, right? And the wall is finished. But really, the work was just beginning. And you can be inside a church. You see, Jerusalem, as we've said, Old Testament Jerusalem, the city of God, is a picture of the church in the New Covenant, the church of Jesus Christ. The city of Jerusalem is the dwelling place of God with the people of God. Now, it's, well, it's across the globe, and it's the people of God, wherever they assemble, are the church. But you can be inside the church and yet still need the renewing power of God in your life. And so now, these next several chapters are about the hand of God falling on the people of God. What I'm going to do today, I'm going to make you work with me today. Uh, What we're going to do today is I'm going to survey these next several chapters so that you understand this renewal because in the Old Testament, these renewal ceremonies, these Covenant renewal moments are very important. 
And if you don't know your Old Testament, I think this will be good for you. In our church, we take the Bible seriously. I want you to learn what the Bible says about these renewal moments for, so that, so that it, you are instructed in your own life. So on the back of your sermon outline, there is Scripture. You can get that out. And it's all from the end of chapter 7 all the way through chapter 10. And what you have... What we are about to to witness in these three chapters is a crescendo of God's working in the people until they come to this beautiful covenant renewal moment in their life, corporate life together, okay? Now, this covenant business, what in the world is covenant? Sounds like an old-fashioned term. Well, it is. You remember when God brought Israel out of Egypt, He took them to Mount Sinai. And you have in Exodus 24, well, in Exodus 19, He gives them the Ten Commandments. In chapter 20, He gives them the Ten Commandments. And then He confirms His covenant with them. And Moses, then He took the book of the covenant and read it to all the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord said. We will obey Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words, okay? So, it's this promise relationship. The covenant is established with Israel. Now, fast forward 40 years, they've been wandering through the wilderness and now they are on tiptoe as they are about to enter into the promised land. And in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses is now an old man and is about to die, They renew the covenant. And in Deuteronomy 29, uh, verses uh, 1 and then verse 12, Moses says, as he's an old man now, these are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab. In addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb, and Moses says, verse 12, Deuteronomy 29, you are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as His people. That He may be your God as He promised you and as He swore to your fathers. And then Moses dies, they go into the land, Joshua leads them on, but now Joshua is old. And Joshua is about to, as it says, go the way of all the earth. And in Joshua 24, verses 24 and 25, the the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him on that day. Joshua made a covenant for the people there at Shechem, and he drew up for them the decrees and laws. And you have, I could keep going, you have these moments of great significance, covenant renewal, where Israel is confirmed. God says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and they respond, we will follow you, we will obey. But now, after Israel has already gone into exile and they have suffered in slavery, God has brought them back, and one more time, One more time, 
The covenant is going to be renewed for the people of God back in the city of God in Jerusalem. And here's what happens. It's chock-filled with instruction for us as to how we are to live our lives. And I'm going to survey the whole thing with you today. And then over the next number of weeks, Pastor Martin and I are going to take slices of it and unpack it for you and apply it directly to you. Don't miss it. But if we only give you the slices, you may not understand the whole, where this is going in this very profound moment for the people of God and for the church of God. So, point number two is just this. The touch of God changes our lives. And God intrudes and something happens. It's called, we call it the unction of the Holy Spirit that comes upon the people in a wonderful way. How, how, and what happens when this happens? Well, I, I have an illustration for you. I went to my garage. It's been sitting there all winter, as it does every winter, my beloved baseball mitt. And I, re, I remember my teenage years with this glove. I remember my college years. What do I do every spring as the glove sits in the garage in the cold In the dry air, it becomes hard, it becomes brittle, and I get out the mink oil. I get out, or even the neat's foot oil, which is more liquid, and I take the oil, and I rub it on the glove, and the oil softens the glove. And the oil penetrates into the leather, down through the leather. And oil, as you know, disperses and spreads across the glove. It softens, it penetrates, it spreads. And when we speak about the unction of God's Holy Spirit affecting the people of God, as it did that one day, that one month for Todd Christensen, as it's done for many of you, So this is what is now happening as the work continues there in Jerusalem in these chapters. Softening of hearts. Israel's heart has become hard, so hard they have forgotten God. They have betrayed God. They have ignored God. Their hearts have been hard, and God is now going to soften them. Their hearts have been distant or far from Him, And the Spirit of God is going to penetrate. It's going to get beneath the surface. It's not just going to be talk. And it's going to spread. It's going to spread through the whole community and into families from parents to children, to grandparents to children to grandchildren. It spreads. And so, what happens? Look on the back of your sermon outline. First, there's the reading of the law. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak 
until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And this, of course, is the preacher's favorite verse. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. How does it start? It just starts by reading the Bible. Reading the law of God, the Word of God. Reading it. Reading it out loud. Is that just an Old Testament event? You know, actually, Ezra and Nehemiah probably had in their minds Deuteronomy 31. In Deuteronomy 31, verses 10 through 13, Moses commanded Israel and he said, every seventh year you need to have a solemn assembly and just read the law to all the people. Just get them all together and read it out loud. And, of course, seventh year, we haven't done this for over 70 years. In fact, probably with the wicked kings, they probably hadn't done it for several hundred years. Ezra says, now we're going to do it. But Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament church, he says something very beautiful. This is not just for the Old Testament people. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Do you know that verse? It's a really interesting verse. That's why part of our worship service is just reading the Bible out loud. You know, I talk to parents, I talk to moms and dads, and they, they struggle to have family devotions at home. It's not always easy. You, we used to call them family commotions, <laughs> right? It's not always easy. You don't always know the best way to have family devotions. But I'll tell you the best way to have family devotions. The best way is just to read the Bible out loud. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be from 6 in the morning until noonday, dads. But, but just read the Bible out loud in your home fellowship groups. Read the Bible. In Sunday school, read the Bible. In youth group, I love Pastor Tay is taking the youth group in, in the walk through the Bible. He's just helping them learn the text of Scripture. I love that. For the Apostle Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some of you know the story of my dad. My father was converted late in life, and he um, had very, very little knowledge of the Bible at all. But after he was converted, you know what he did? He bought the Bible on cassette. Anybody here remember what a cassette is? Anybody old enough to remember a cassette? He bought the Bible on cassette, and he had it in his car. And for the last years of his life, wherever he drove, he popped in the cassette to listen to the Bible. And it changed his life. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And in this instance, let's go on. Let's see the response that, is, that comes from the reading of God's Word and the touch of God. For uh, in the second section down on the back of your sermon outline from chapter 8, Nehemiah says, do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. 
And what you have here is just the response. And you know what it is? It's an emotional response. It's not just an intellectual response. These people are moved by what they hear. And there are times in every Christian's life, even Presbyterians, even we who are sometimes called God's frozen chosen, there are those seasons when our hearts are stirred. It must happen. Our hearts are stirred and we are grieved. See, what happened? As, as the people were hearing it being read, I can just imagine they, the, the, the aha moment has come over them. What have we done? How we have neglected the Word of God in our lives and our families and our children's lives. We've been living with the routines day in and day out without any thought of God. And here we hear the Bible again being read to us. Oh, what have we done? How have we betrayed Him? And you remember when Peter suddenly realized that he betrayed the Lord Jesus. What does it tell us he did? He went outside and what? He wept bitterly. And in my own life, and perhaps in your life, there have been those seasons where God has shown you that your heart has grown hard. Your heart has become like this baseball glove, brittle. And you need Him to soften it up with the oil of the Word and the Spirit. You need Him to penetrate and go down. You need Him to break your heart. Break your heart over your sin. I need it. You need it. But, that being said, Nehemiah, the great leader, how many times have I told you, I wish I was a better pastor. I wish I could be a pastor like Nehemiah because you know what Nehemiah does? Nehemiah, he says, wait a minute, everybody. Wait just a minute. I appreciate the fact that you're weeping, but if we're going to have a renewal, we have to do this right. And one of my professors in seminary, Claire Davis, loved this passage. And whenever he would talk about revival, whenever he would talk about brokenness over sin, he would always say, well, let's remember Nehemiah. When they were broken over their sin, what did the Lord tell them? Let's have a party. Let's rejoice. Because you know what? He said, God is at work when you're broken. God is at work when you're grieving. God is at work. He hasn't abandoned you. He's drawing you back. Let's have a party. And it just so happens, coincidentally, there are no coincidences, that it's the seventh month of the Jewish year, and they just read through the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus 23 talks about what you're supposed to do in the seventh month. You're supposed to have a party. It's called the Feast of Booths, and that is a a week-long celebration that remembers the exodus from Egypt and the salvation of our God. And surely Nehemiah said, you want to remember the salvation out of Egypt from from one place in Egypt, but today God is gathering His people from the corners of the earth who have been in exile and bringing them back to Jerusalem. And we really have redemption to celebrate. Enjoy your sweet drinks and your food. Let's have a party. God is at work among us. Rejoice. And the 
You know, Paul says to the New Testament church, right? Philippians 4, verse 4. I hope you have this memorized. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Yes, we often have a tear in the eye. As Christians, we grieve, and we grieve deeply. Yes, we do. But there is always the joy of the Lord to be in our hearts, to accompany us, even through our grief. And I just want to say something to people. When you're going through hard times, when you are discouraged, or when you are broken by your own sin or foolishness, or just the difficulties of life, as a pastor for 30 years, I'll tell you what is your tendency. So many of you, your tendency right at that moment is to withdraw. You see, when everything's going fine, sure, I'll show up for church, I'll come to the celebration. But when things are messed up, I turn in on myself. I become self-absorbed. I'm not interested in the party. And that is precisely the moment when you need to come to the party. When you need to come to the celebration, you need to come and be bathed and washed and encouraged by your brothers and sisters. And they'll weep with you, but they'll also draw you out and draw you back to remember His grace and His goodness. Be suspicious of that tendency, okay? If you take nothing else away, say, hey, the preacher reminded me to be suspicious of my own tendency to isolate myself and become self-absorbed and to ignore the party that God wants me to be in. Because then he goes to the third thing, and you see this highlighted in, in Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And here, again, it's just the wisdom of God to the people of God. Do you need strength? Well, you need strength from God. And here, Nehemiah teaches you and me something about God. Now, at North Shore Community Church, we talk a lot about the various attributes of God because we love God. God is holy. God is powerful. God is omnipotent. He is omniscient and all-wise. God is unchangeable, immutable. God is uh, just. And there's all the, God is love. There's all these magnificent attributes about the character of God. We need to learn them all. But Nehemiah points out one, and I will point it out to you today. Never forget... God is joyful within himself. Did you know that? God is joyful. And Jesus talks about this. It's sort of mysterious in the New Testament. Jesus says, he talks about how into the Father, he says that your joy is in me and my joy is in them. He talks like that. And we scratch our heads saying, what are you talking about, Jesus? But apparently within the Trinity... Within the Trinity, there is this mirth, there is this joy, there is this mutual delight in each other. It is the joy of the Lord, and He gives it to His people by His Spirit. He gives you joy. Corey Ten Boom, living in the concentration camp, in a barracks filled with fleas. And she rejoices and finds strength, even thanking God for the fleas. And her sister says, what? You're, you're rejoicing even in the fleas? And she says, oh yes, 
because the guards will not come into our barracks and they leave us alone. And we are free to study our Bible and to pray together and to encourage each other where they, they torture all the other barracks. We are left alone. <laughs> the joy of the Lord has become her strength. We're going to be studying each of these as we go on. Well, the next thing that happens is chapter 9. And the crescendo is building, friends. The crescendo is building. For the covenant renewal ceremony is almost here. They're three and a half weeks into the seventh month now. And what you have is the confession of sins. We'll have a whole week studying this. It's a long chapter, 39 verses of confession of sin. You think, well, does the confession of sin supposed to come before the joy of the Lord and the rejoicing and all that? No, no, actually, actually, the best way to confess your sin is to be assured of the joy of the Lord in you and to, to know your salvation. That, that's when you're free to confess your sin. And, and here's just a few of the verses from this long chapter. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Now you jump down to verse 29. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. Because of our sins, the abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us, they rule over our bodies and cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Confession of sin. It's an important part of the life of the church. It's an important part of the life of a Christian. Is it a part of your life? You know, the book of 1 John speaks to the New Covenant community, and it, and it teaches us to confess our sins. Do you know what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10? Listen to this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word, His word has no place in our lives. When I'm brittle and stiff, and hard, stiff-necked and hard. I need the Spirit of God. I need the Word of God, right? The Word of God is like a mirror, and it reflects back to me. Where There's dirt on my face. 
I need that to happen. I need it to penetrate. I need to soften up my heart so that I can honestly, knowing of his love for me, I can confess my sins. Can you do that? It's hard to do it so often because we don't see it. We don't see our sin. I see your sin and yours. But I'm not too good at seeing my own. This week I was with a couple. They're not here. I was with some people, and they were speaking to each other in a very rude manner. And have you ever been in, like at a table with people who are talking to each other, and they're really rude to each other, and you feel embarrassed for them? Have you ever had that experience? You feel embarrassed for them. How can they talk to each other like that? Can't they hear themselves? Well, they can't for some reason. I'm embarrassed. They can't see it. They can't hear it. But here's the kicker. They are you. They are me. Unless oil of the Spirit, unless the Word of God graciously, and it is by grace, you see, this is something to rejoice in, it's by grace, they reveal back to me my own sin so that I may confess it. But if I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. This is good, not bad. Because then I cry out for deliverance. Now, the next thing that happens in the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of and most of chapter 10 is the agreement of the people and what's called the ratification of the covenant oath. Now, you're big kids. You can learn this. This is what happens in these covenant renewal ceremonies. They ratify that they are God's people with an oath. And here's what we read. They say, this is serious stuff, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives, all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and, now here it is, and bind themselves with a curse, and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. This is the moment of covenant renewal when they sign on the dotted line and they say, I belong to God and I will follow Him. What does that have to do with the New Testament church? When do you have a covenant renewal ceremony? Let me give you a clue. You're in one right now. You're in a covenant renewal ceremony right now. This might be news to you. Some of you just think, I know I just went to church. Let me tell you what's going on here right now. The elders of the church have called for the stated meeting of the people of God 
for the purpose of declaring the worship of God and the praise of God. The elders of the church have called the stated meeting of the church to come and to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed and for the people of God to respond and say, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. And at the end of the service, you know, I give a benediction, not because I'm holy, but because I want you to know that God blesses his covenant people. And Claire Davis used to say, I turn my palms outward toward the people so that they know the blessing of God is upon them assembled there at the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion. <laughs> Every Sunday is a covenant renewal ceremony. And especially every time we have communion. Did you know that? When we take communion in this church, we are remembering the blood of the new covenant. Back when I read from Exodus, Moses took the blood. What did he do? He sprinkled it on the people, the blood of the covenant. We, and this is strange and wonderful, we drink the blood of the new covenant when we partake together. And it is that moment for him to renew us and strengthen us by faith. And then they respond finally in this confession of sins leads to the agreement of the people and then they reorder their lives. And, and at the end of chapter 10, there are these five specific commitments. We'll take a couple of weeks to unpack this. But then they say... We not only repent, but we put feet on our repentance. It's what I call repentance with feet. And they say, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. Okay, they're going to they're gonna stay pure. Secondly, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or, sell, sell, or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. They're going to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then next, what they're going to do is care for the poor. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and cancel all debts. What that, that, was, that was how you took care of the poor. We will care for those who have needs within the covenant community. And then the, the, the next thing they do is they say, we will assume responsibility for carrying out all the duties of the house of our God. And they say, we're going to bring the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree. And um, you go on down, verse 37, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of God to the priests the first of our ground meal of grain offerings, the fruit of our trees, the new wine and olive oil. We will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. Who knows what a tithe is? Tithe, it's an old-fashioned word that means tenth. We'll bring... That, that first tenth of what we earn to the Levites. Who are the Levites? Well, they're the, the spiritual leaders of the community. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. We will not neglect the house of our God. It's repentance with feet on it. They're going to change. Now, I don't know if those are issues for you, but where do you need to put feet on your repentance? Where, where do you, the Spirit will show you. The Spirit, the Word of God will quicken to your heart, will soften you up, will penetrate, make you supple. My third point is a brief point, but a very important point. 
Don't try this without Jesus. Don't try this without Jesus. Why is that? Well, the answer is, why was Israel in exile in the first place? (laughs) They promised, but they couldn't do it. In fact, at the great covenant renewal ceremony at Shechem, there's this intriguing verse where Joshua says in in Joshua 24:19 when they are boasting that they will obey and they will serve the Lord and Joshua said to the people you are not able to serve the Lord he is a holy god and a jealous god and he warns them of their own fickle and rebellious hearts and sure enough they are carried into exile and even after this covenant renewal happens in Jerusalem in the 24th day of the seventh month of Tisri, in 400 years, 70 A.D., what will happen to Jerusalem? The Romans will come, and Jerusalem will be destroyed, and the people will be scattered again, for they will not see their Messiah. They will miss their Messiah. They will have found their hearts far from Him, but you, but you, you remember Who is the faithful covenant keeper? Who is it? Jesus Christ. Who is the true Israel? The only true servant of Israel. Jesus Christ. He is the one. And He is the covenant keeper who said from the cross, It is finished. He has lived in perfect righteousness. Living the life you should have lived. Dying the death you should have died. Jesus Christ, our covenant King. And so when the Apostle Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death, wretched man that I am, he says, thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only sinner who can successfully battle sins is a saved sinner is a justified sinner, one who has trusted in Jesus Christ the Lord. You fight against your sins from your relationship with the Lord, not in order to get a relationship with the Lord, but because of your relationship with Him. Now, yeah, you turn from your sins, you seek the joy of the Lord, and you walk before Him. So now that we've had this wide view angle, don't miss these next couple of weeks. So we take these things apart, and He teaches us how to live before Him day after day. Let's bow our heads and ask Him to renew our lives together. Lord, we pray that You would send Your Word loudly and clearly to us, that the Bible would be read and listened to attentively at the North Shore Community Church and in our homes. We invite You to give us tears, tears of brokenness, yes, and also tears of joy. And we tell you that we want your joy to be the strength of our life. We take a risk, our Father, but we invite you to convict us of our sin because you love us. And because you want us to put off the old man and to put on Christ. And we ask you to give us feet on our repentance. 
that we would walk forward loving you, glorifying you, rejoicing in you, and serving you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.